Have you ever seen Homes Under the Hammer? Yeah? If you ever had a sickie, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m., uh, Homes Under the Hammer, it's usually some dilapidated house that goes up for auction, some person buys it, and then the, the, the male or female presenter, they interview them in the house, and they say it's going to take three months, and we're going to do it up, and cost 20000 or whatever it is. Then they come back afterwards. Um, and there's always that great moment where you see like the old photograph of the bathroom and the paint and think, oh, what's terrible. And then maybe there's no bathroom. It's just like floorboards and there's damp and stuff. And then it goes, wow, 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 wow. And then it's like, wow. I'm just like hooked on that program. A couple of, uh, in January, I had a, I had a week of, of feeling really unwell and I watched it. There's, there's something intriguing and really amazing about that. There's something intriguing about transformation. And I was hooked on it. There's something amazing about seeing, shh, wow, 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 wow. You think, wow, look at that. And I think, you know, even though it's not going to be me, there's something that hooks us. If it's not houses, you're seeing, it's like the transformation of someone from being a, a terrible singer to suddenly they're on the stage. Or the transformation of someone who can't bake for the life of them. Suddenly they can, or it's a body that's being transformed, a, a, a house or a car. Or, or there's a whole load of stuff that's on TV. You think, where does that interest in transformation come from? Why are you and I interested in transformation? Why do we like before and after photographs? God has put in you and I, I suggest, a desire to see transformation. You and I were hardwired to see transformation. God is a God of transformation. This book, you know what I mean. This This book is all about transformation. There's something that God of transformation says, I want to put in you. And I want to speak transformation in you and through you for this, uh, this area um, of the big city. See, God takes a young shepherd boy who's the last and his brothers think, and he says, right, you'll be king. God takes something that is a mess and makes it something glorious. God takes someone who hates Christians and will hunt you down and kill you and says, you'll be Paul and you'll go to the nations and you will make my name great. You will declare my, my glory. God says, you're a brave soldier to the chap that's hiding in the wine press in case he's seen. He says, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to lead my people in victory and they're going to kick off their constraints. Gideon. God says, I'm going to take an apparent disaster of a son dying on a cross and everyone thinks, oh no, Amasiah's dead. Another hope that's gone. God says, I will transform his life And because he's been transformed, every single one of us can sign up to the, I'm in the transformation queue too. Jesus has lifted us. Isn't that great? God is hardwired. God is hardwired for transformation. We are hardwired. It's it's something in us. And I want to say, let it out. Let out the voice of transformation. Corinne talks about let it out, guys. Let the voice of transformation come out. And that's what prophecy does. Prophecy announces God's with us. God's with us and he's with us now. God's with us in our business, in our work, in our families, in our church. God loves transformation. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? 
for transformation. Those who were in prison will be free. Those who are captives will be free. Those who are blind will see. Those who are in mourning will have joy. And so they will then rebuild the broken cities. Transformation. It's right through the Bible. And thankfully, the church that we are part of, the body of Christ, is also being transformed and also announcing transformation. So the message of the church to the world is the kingdom of God is among us. Repent. And what's repent? Be transformed. Change your thinking. Change your direction. Change your mind. Be transformed. I want to tell you about a lady. You'll recognize her. This woman lives under judgment. This woman knows shame like you have never known. This woman, when she walks down the street, people back away from her. This woman is an outcast from her religious society. She's anemic. She's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. That's 144 months or 624 weeks or 4,383 days. This woman is bleeding, which is medically bad enough, anemia, which is bad enough. But she lives in a society that says when you bleed, you stay in your house. You do not come out. This is the law that God has said to our people. You are unclean, woman, when you are bleeding. So normally, maybe for one week in four, the woman would stay. But this woman has had 624 weeks of staying indoors. Can you imagine the shame? And when people see her, because they want to worship God, and God says we must be clean, when they see her, they think, if you come near us and if we accidentally touch, I'm going to be like dirty like you. So it's best that we keep a long distance. This woman's had no physical contact. If she's married, we don't know. She's had no physical contact with her husband. No kiss, no peck on the cheek. Because he doesn't want to be unclean. She's now poor and destitute too because she spent every last penny on trying. Doctor, please, can you help me? And we can only imagine, what did the doctors do? What did they make her drink, take, touch? What did they do to try and stop her bleeding? She knows shame. She knows shame. Deep, deep shame. It's prolonged, costly, shameful, isolating pain. Because perhaps inside she's thinking, maybe I've done something wrong. What have I done that I deserve this? Maybe maybe I'm just such a wicked person that this is my punishment. We don't know what plays in. We can only imagine what plays on in her mind. But she hears that Jesus the healer is not too far away. So she travels. She takes some hours. She travels. And maybe there's crowds around that the recognize her. We don't know. Maybe some do think, oh, there's that woman. Watch out for her. But she's in the crowd. She's pressing around. And she hears that Jesus is around. She pushes through the crowd. Now what's she thinking? Because she knows he's a holy one. And the law says, holy ones and unclean ones don't touch. And if you touch a holy one, holy one is not going to be able to worship their God. They mustn't go to the temple. They're, they're dirty too. 
But somehow in her mind, she's playing this through, and she reaches out. She thinks, if I could touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Maybe he's going to be dirty. I don't know what's going to happen, but I might be healed, because I've heard stories that when he touched people, I could be, they were healed. So in a moment, imagine the time suddenly slows. We'd see it in slow motion on the film, and she's reaching out, and the crowds are sort of moving past and as she takes hold of his robe, tasseled robe, grabs it, just like the frame stops. But she still moves, and inside she feels a moving, a restoration. Something has happened for 624 weeks. I've not felt. I've stopped bleeding. She knows this freedom. In one moment, those spasms, the excruciating pain has stopped. She's healed. She's stolen a miracle. But then... It gets really bad because the holy man turns to her or turns around and says, who touched me? She's thinking, I'm in for a kicking because I've made this holy man dirty. Jesus says to his disciples, who touched me? They say, you're crazy, Jesus. Like we're surrounded by hundreds of people. You say, who's touching? Everyone is pushing in on each other. He says, no, someone touched me. My power went out of me. What does she think? What am I doing? She knows I'm healed. It's amazing. But I'm going to get blamed. What have you done, you wicked woman? Jesus said, it was me. It was me. And in that moment, Jesus looks at her. Do you know the words he says about her? It's just so beautiful. Transformation. He says, daughter calls her daughter. She thinks she'd ever been called daughter before, certainly dirty, but never daughter. And she hears him says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go. Wow. Imagine the story that of transformation that's happened in her. Now at home, she, as she's married, she bursts through the door, says, honey, <laughs> let's have a kiss. What? She, I can... She's at the temple the next day and they're thinking, are you sure? I'm clean, I'm healed. What's happened? Jesus has taken her. She lived in a house of judgment. She lived in a house of judgment. The law says you are unclean if you are bleeding. She lived in the house of judgment where she could never escape from. But Jesus took her from a house of judgment to the house of mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that amazing? And the whole Bible, the whole Bible is a book of Jesus taking us out of the house of judgment to the house of mercy. So I had a time in last year where I was sitting quietly with God. And as he does sometimes, perhaps to you, he came and whispered to me. He says, Adrian, I've lifted you to a higher place. I've lifted you from the house of judgment to the house of mercy. And in that moment, a transformation happened to me. Last year, I've been a Christian for many years. But in that moment, I heard Jesus speak over me. You live in the house of mercy, not the house of judgment. And I realized, like that woman, there was stuff and framework and guilt or shame that I was living in that was defining me that actually wasn't my home. That woman was a child, a daughter of Abraham. She was a daughter, but she was boxed in. 
I suddenly realised in the house of mercy, I have peace with God. I knew I had righteousness with God. I knew I was right with him. But I didn't have peace because somehow or other I felt I need to perform. I felt, and when you didn't perform, you don't feel as good. You feel condemned about yourself. And sometimes you feel your own disapproval. I was my own harshest critic. Maybe you are too. We can be very harsh critics of ourselves, tolerant about others, but harsh to ourselves. I suddenly realised that in the house of mercy, there is no condemnation. If we live in the house of judgment, boy, there's a whole long list of stuff that you could find wrong with me, and he could, but he doesn't address me. I don't live in the house of judgment. We live in the house of mercy. In the house of mercy, my shame has been covered by the merciful one. In the house of mercy, I know that Jesus has satisfied every accusation that could be levelled against me. So there is every condemnation, but it's been fully satisfied by Jesus. And so it is all null and void. In the house of mercy, friends, there's freedom. That woman found total freedom. I realise in the house of judgment, and maybe as I run through just a few of these things, sometimes we can find hmm, there's a residue of the house of living in the house of judgment for all sorts of reasons. Uh, there's an absence of honour in the house of judgment, of honouring of ourselves and as others, particularly of others, because if I honour you, then what about me? Maybe there won't be any left. So it's easier to spot the faults, the the speck in your eye, because if I can see your speck, I don't feel so bad. So in honour, in in the house of judgment, we are quick to spot when someone, you know, they've done it again. Can we pray for our pastor? He's done it again. Okay, we are very quick to spot faults, because it makes us feel better about, well, I haven't got that. We pull others down. In the house of judgment, we measure our performance against others. Okay? We measure our performance against others. I'm praying more. I, I was at three of those prayer, uh, our prayer week prayer meetings. Do you know, they're a life group leader and they only make two. I should be leading a life group. We judge others. We judge others. We also judge God as we see him. We think, God, you are strict, you're harsh. So, guess what? We're also strict and harsh with him. Say, God, you have not done it again. We get angry with him. We blame him. We see him judging and fearful. Or we see him judging, so we become fearful. In the house of judgment, I can't satisfy God. I'm trying really hard. I've blown it again. Oh, God. And we ask people to pray, and we say, can you help me? Because I just feel so bad about myself. We fear judgment, so we build rules. Okay, rules don't actually change our hearts, if you notice that. We put structures around us and we have rules. Say Christians mustn't do those things. But actually it doesn't change us. The rules are designed, I'm trying to keep God happy, but however many rules I do, I just can't live up to them. We build ungodly beliefs. So we say, I will never do that again. I will never trust a man because of what they did. We built to protect ourselves. It doesn't change us. And in this house of judgment, we feel judged. We judge others. So years ago, I prayed for a lady who had been abused. And her judgment was being, men abuse women. Men abuse me. And guess what? What had happened was that there had been a repeated cycle. It's like the judgment became the truth. 
she said, men abused me, and men did. But as we prayed with her, initially she went, I don't want any man touching me, okay? So we honoured that. But as we prayed, we led her into forgiveness. We prayed for spirits to go. She began to, okay, and we could in the end, as, as a guy, I could put my hands on it and pray and lead her through. In the house of judgment, we make confessions. I am no good. God, you don't answer. Or it could be all sorts of different things. I am not worthy. And we withdraw. In the house of judgment, it's better that you don't see the real me. Do you know that? In the house of judgment, because I feel bad enough, I don't need you to confess. So I just build a nice wall. And you ask me, how are you doing, Christian? And I say, I'm really well. Praise the Lord. I don't want you to see that actually I'm feeling really bad, grumpy. I haven't been praying this way. Whatever it is. Christian leaders or any of us. So we build a wall. In this house of judgment... And I've noticed, being a church leader and you're meeting other church leaders, somehow or other, I don't know, but you always think other church leaders are doing better than yourself. And you, you start to lift them, wow, I wish I could, why can't I preach like that? Why can't I pray like those? And we exalt them. And then actually you start to find, oh, hang on. But they have got a weakness. And they, have got a, they have got a failure. They have got something. And, and we start to feel a bit more justified. What's that? So that's the house of judgment. That's, that's that well. I'm living in the house of judgment where I'm measuring performance. See, God says, you're home, Adrian. And in that moment, your home is the house of mercy. I realized that that's my home. And my thinking needs to change. I realized that even as a Christian, as a church leader for many years, I can sometimes live out of the house of judgment. It's not my home, but I live out of it. And living out of the house of judgment, I can speak cross words. Because I'm feeling judged, so I'm going to judge you, just so we can all feel bad. But when I look, Jesus does not speak. Jesus never acts from the house of judgment. He's the one that could. He's the one that could speak quite legitimately about the house of judgment. And yet he says to me, Adrian, I've lifted you to a higher place. And each one of us in Christ, your home is the house of mercy. So let's choose the woman caught with shame and bleeding, Jesus says, house of mercy. Let's think of Zacchaeus, tax collector. God's people are told, don't exact usury. He's breaking all the laws. Jesus spies him up the tree. The disciples pulls around him thinking, oh, what's going to happen? The rest of his village are thinking, at last, the Holy One's going to get that guy. He's going to surely launch all these commandments that this guy's breaking. He's a wicked guy. Jesus is going to see straight into his heart and let's shoot him with a spiritual AK-47. He's going to die. Well, what is going to happen? They're thinking, house of judgment, that guy. Jesus, the Holy One of God, the one who could blast him from the tree, says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. And Jesus and Zacchaeus have this discussion. And in Zacchaeus' house becomes a house of mercy. Then you might think, house of judgment is what sorts people out. Give them a kick up the backside and that sort them. Somehow or other, by meeting Jesus in the house of mercy, Zacchaeus comes out and they thought, where's his black eye? You know, what's happened with him and Jesus? Zacchaeus says, if I've taken anything from any of you, you can have twice as much, four times as much. Friends, living from the house of mercy produces generosity. And suddenly, all the blame and the shame and the guilt Zacchaeus is feeling, he's hiding up the tree. He says, actually, I want you to have all your, and more. 
house of mercy people are free and liberated. Now the words you use about yourself show where you live. And I realised in that moment as Jesus whispered to me, this is your home, I was, Lord, there's a whole load of wrong thinking. And you know, we can prophesy, we can use any spiritual gift from either home, but it sounds very different. So if you prophesy from the house of judgment, guess what? God says I'm cross. Sort yourselves out. Repent and turn. That's the sort of message from the house of judgment. What's the same message sound like from the house of mercy? Your father says, I've sent my son. I've given everything I have for you. My invitation for you is, let me wash your feet. Okay? The house of judgment is ready to shoot them. The house of mercy is an invitation. And it could be anything. It could be Bible teaching. It could be witnessing. Okay? There's a non-Christian amidst us, and they're living with this person. They're doing that. We need to get the truth to them. This is their first Sunday or their first time they've met. I'm going to speak the truth. They need to know that God's a holy God. Are you sure they do? But you know, when Jesus met the woman who was caught in adultery, goodness knows what happened to the guy. It's only her that's brought. And all the shame, maybe she's naked, they're laughing, I don't know. But instead, again, of letting her have it, saying, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, Jesus says, okay, guys, any of you who's without sin, off you go. House of mercy really changes, changes the focus, not onto the person, but onto the saviour. I think in our, pro- our prophesying, our preaching, the way that we do stuff, let's focus on the saviour. Let's make sure we stick to the truth. I'm not saying we, we, you know, we, um, we, we push truth to one side, but let's focus on the mercy of the saviour, because that's what Jesus did with the woman who's caught. You filthy woman, now you've made me unclean. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Zacchaeus, you wicked tax collector. No, I want to give everything back. He says, Jesus lifts us. I saw in my identity that I needed some work. So I said, okay, Jesus, will you show me? So now I've got a wonderful, I did have a wonderful wife. I do have a wonderful wife who sometimes says, are you speaking out of the house of judgment or the house of mercy? Okay, yeah, actually, Jesus... So sometimes when I do these sorts of things, I go back and as I'm in bed or next day, I replay what I've said. Oh, didn't say that. The other week I brought some prophetic words, three different people, and they were all a bit of a miss. Oh, I didn't do that. In the house of judgment, you think, I'm never doing that again. The house of judgment, you think, okay, I'm not cut out for this. Who am I to think this? And on and on and on. And when we shrink. But in the house of mercy, I think, okay, Jesus... Thank you. We stepped out of courage. I trust you. I thought that's what you were saying. I I, I wanted to honour you. I leave it with you. One of the means I lie awake sweating. The other means I can go to sleep and think, Jesus, I want your peace. The spirit of Jesus is here this evening to lift you and I, to remind you. If you're in Christ, you see, you do live in the house of mercy. But maybe your teacher's told you, you're pants, you're no good. And so you think, I'm just no good. Maybe your parents told you, you're no good. Maybe your dad, your mother, it could be all sorts. Maybe a church leader. And so you've just grown up with this sense that I'm just no good. 
I cannot measure up. Friends, hear the words that Jesus says. I've come that you have life. And living in the house of judgment isn't life. I've come that you have life to the full. That certainly doesn't sound like in the house of judgment. I've come to bring you to a spacious place. He talks in the Psalms of taking us to a spacious place. That's not the house of judgment. Friends, we are in invitation to the house of mercy. The good news is that I think you just love sliding screens. So in that moment, I realised that mercy is a true invite and a key attribute of God. So Paul writes to all of the churches. And do you know what he says at the start of every letter? Grace and mercy be to you. Grace and mercy be to you. Micah, in Old Testament, he writes, God delights to show mercy. It's like he likes to out-mercy himself. I want to show more mercy. And we would have given up long ago, but Jesus said, I want to show mercy, and I'll show mercy, and I'll show some more mercy. Now, 1 Peter 2, it says, once you weren't, you weren't this, you weren't that, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I've received mercy. So that's the fact. It's not that I haven't received. It's just that somehow I got programmed to not hear it. And so my invitation and me coming this evening is to invite you to undo the eyes. So Holy Spirit, will you bring this revelation of my home? And sometimes there are, also, or there are all sorts of reasons why we live in this house of judgment. But Jesus says, you live in the house of mercy. If you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ, you acknowledge him, you received him, you are walking with him. Your home is the house of mercy. If you are here and you don't know Christ, your home is the house of judgment. That's why he came. That's why he took judgment on the cross, that you would be rescued in order that all the judgment that was for you would be upon him. And then you would be, what's left? Mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. In the house of mercy, we live in Christ's unlimited favor and grace unlimited favour and grace. In the house of mercy, we live in the good of God's riches. So Paul writes to the Ephesian church, blessed be the God and Father of our Jesus Christ who has blessed us. How come he's blessed us? Because he's poured out mercy on us. In the house of mercy, no judgment can stand. And that's the biggest thing for me. No judgment can stand against me other than what he would say. No judgment can stand against me. So I run through, okay, these judgments, I'm very quick at making judgments about myself. Okay, does it agree with what he says? Yes, I'll keep it. If it doesn't agree, then I must not keep it. Otherwise, we start to create this, this box. If you live in Christ, house of mercy is for you. So do you need to change your thinking? Do you need to accept, hey, this is what Jesus has done. And in the house of mercy, there's freedom to be yourself. And if you make a mistake, guess what? Jesus specializes in cleaning up. His ability to clean up is greater than your ability to mess. That's why he's a savior. That's why he's your savior. 
If you're in Christ, there's a father who will leave the village, run across the hillside and cover your shame with a cloak and with a ring and with sandals. And all the villages that are looking and thought, that's the son that brought dishonor. He deserves a kicking too. You'll find the father loves and welcomes. This is my son. And even though you've got your shame verse already, just like that returning son had, said, I'm no good to be your son. I'll be a servant in your house. And he, he stops him and says, son, son, come on, let's have a feast. Isn't it amazing? There's a picture in Hebrews 12. Amazing contrast. that The writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who that is, but he displays this house of mercy and the house of judgment. He says, we, don't, we come not to a mountain of fire and smoke, he, took, he goes through it item by item. Actually, let's read it because that will be, be good to do. And then we've been coming to a, a finishing thing. Where's my NIV? Here we go. So Hebrews 12. Do you want to read it with me? I'm going to be reading NIV. Let's see the contrast, the house of judgment and the house of mercy. You come not to a mountain. So this is like reflecting from Exodus, I think it's 18 and 19, where they've come to this temp, uh, the Moses is at the mountain and there's smoke and God says, come up, but make sure nobody touches the mountain. And they're thinking, oh, Moses, you go. If we come, if we get near it, we're going to die. You, writer Hebrews 12, 18 says, you come not to a mountain that can be touched, that's burning with fire, to darkness, and gloom and storm. You've not come to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Judgment. The sight was so terrifying, Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. House of Judgment. The old covenant leading us, leading us to this person that's going to free us from this house of judgment. You have come, house of mercy, here it comes, to Mount Zion, God's holy temple, God's place where he dwells, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Wow, God's mercy releases joy to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Get that. If you're in Christ, your name is written in the book of mercy. Yes, not a book of judgment. Your name is written in the book of mercy. And guess whose handwriting it is? Jesus. Every, it's not your handwriting. It's his. Everyone. Your, your name is written by his handwriting in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, not the Lamb's Book of Judgment. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. It's like the free entry. Yeah, here's mercy. You're in the register. Come. In joyful assembly. Imagine angels in joyful assembly. Wow, the church of the firstborn. You've come to God. The judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I'm reading NIV. God, judge of all, I'm ready for the judgment. Righteous made perfect. If I'm made perfect, there's no judgment. Otherwise, I'm not perfect. But the Hebrews said, to the righteous made perfect. Okay? Who's that? Us. You and I. 
You think, oh, I don't feel very perfect. You're without spot or blemish, presented before Christ. Who lives in you? Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Yeah? Now, do you think God comes and lives in a, in a place that's dirty? Or can God only be, reside where you are made right with him? Through Jesus, you're made right. Through Jesus, you are made right. That's how God can... Otherwise, he would have to be living in you like with a... Do I have to really go in there? God says, I'll make you right and clean and then I'll come in. Jesus says that. Anyone who follows me, I and my Father will make our home in him. That's because he's made you clean. The house of mercy, you are made clean. Let the truth of that. Sure, you can find stuff where you've messed up, but in the house of mercy, we have one speaks to the Father in our defense. called Jesus, our advocate. He says, Father, remember the blood. Father says, mercy, Adrian. So as I'm tempted to be seen, I think, that's not my home. See, my home is to live in the good of the house of mercy. God, I want to live. God, I'm going to avoid that sin. It's not the rules. It's because I want to live in my identity in the house of mercy. We come to the God, the judge of all the spirits of righteous, made perfect, verse 24, Hebrews 12, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. In the new covenant, the old has gone and the new has come. What's the new? The new is a... New relationship with God to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel's. Isn't that wonderful? But then the amazing thing, he finishes this chapter talking about, okay, if that's the case, don't refuse him who speaks. That's how it is. It's such a rich invitation, this house of mercy. Friends, the danger of the house of mercy is such a good thing God says, do not refuse. (laughs) Do not refuse. It's an invitation to such goodness. Do not refuse. They did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less were we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And he talks about we're receiving the kingdom. It's so good. Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably in reverence and awe. It's not an invitation to be chummy with God. We worship him with reverence and awe and love and delight for our God's a consuming fire. Friends, the invitation I feel God wants to give us is to live in the house of mercy. And I feel one of the things that God wants to release in us uh, is, is speaking mercy. And I realise one of the things in my town, I recently uh, walking around, I realise actually we've got more and more shops that are run down We've got an increasing number of homeless are sitting on the street. And I realised that in my heart was a judgement of our town. I didn't love our town. In fact, I despised our town a bit. And I realised, actually, that's not speaking of mercy. That's speaking about judgement. That's dirty. That's rubbish. That's no good. And friends, we can live speaking out of judgement or mercy. So just think, where you go tomorrow, what will your conversations be look at if they're judgement? Or mercy. And I realise there's so much of stuff that I take in from our culture that is all about judgment. Our society thrives on it. We lift people up and we judge them and we can throw stones. But House of Mercy doesn't pretend stuff doesn't matter, doesn't pretend that actually it wasn't bad, it just doesn't, doesn't cover over what needs to be exposed, but it deals with people very differently. And doesn't London, doesn't our nation, 
need mercy. Friends, most of the people I meet, including myself, I know what's wrong. I don't need someone to tell me. I do need to know how to be saved. People we meet know stuff is a mess. They don't know how to put it right. They need mercy. So our invitation is that we would, our lips would be anointed. Our lips would be anointed with mercy. Because as I look at Jesus, every time he's being merciful, I know he had it in for the religious leaders, and that would be for another time. But for those people who were seeking, Jesus had mercy every time. I want to be like that, and I know you do, for, the, for these areas.